turn it round and run him into our backup? No! We're good! We bang it! Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where we flip out over Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 20, which begins with the buzzards thinking they've hit pay dirt, and it ends with Furiosa and her escorts narrowly missing a pit trap. Back again are a pair of Wickbat players ready to dash back and forth until the pine cone burns down and an umpire calls Hotbox, Tyler Boudreaux, and Condra Boudreaux of Fantastic Mr. Fox Minute. Hello! I'm Max. That's my name. Your name is Tyler, and I am Condra. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm Tyler. Yeah, your worlds aren't so much fire and blood as much as cider and chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I always think about like what meta things you guys could do like to try to reflect this film, and one of them I thought of was like just not say your names until like the minute where Max says his name. <laughs> <laughs> Just instead of introducing ourselves each episode, just be like saying really vague things. Like, you don't need to know my name. That's not important. <laughs> my name is... Uh, <laughs> bruh. Just a series of grunts. Disapproving So better sounds. than Nux. <laughs> Nux, what a terrible name. When we ended on Monday, we had just been introduced to the Buzzards as new players in this little stage play that we're watching. And they had the distinct and unique quality of speaking Russian, which is not something we've seen before. We haven't had a character that I can think of that was very specifically speaking a foreign language in its own little social group. Like we had the waiting ones speak in their broken English, but we didn't have them speaking Greek or something. Right. I'm not sure their broken English can be classified as a new language yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe a dialect. Mm. I have a question for you that I don't know if you'll know the answer to. What did they do in the Russian dubbing? Probably for, nothing. For Russian audiences, the buzzards are actually speaking German. Ooh. Seriously? Seriously. Did you look that up or you just... I looked it up. Okay. <laughs> did I look it up? Come on. <laughs> I act incredulously, but there are times where I haven't looked things up and then I have to call myself out for it, but... <laughs> So the Buzzards are an interesting faction. They are introduced in the Mad Max comic book as the force that kidnapped the little girl and kill the mother and rebuild the Interceptor and do all of this stuff. And in the comic book, the Buzzards primarily live underneath a buried Sydney. And we were very concerned about them. When we were talking to Mark Sexton, he shared with us that the Buzzards are very weak to light they have some sort of genetic abnormality where the sun burns them very easily, so they're probably just Irish. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so that's why they cover themselves with hoods and goggles and bandages. But they also speak Russian. So while there's no explanation as to why they speak Russian, it could be something as simple as they are descendants of a ship of refugees that were coming from Russia. If there was a nuclear skirmish, obviously Russia would be involved because, duh. <laughs> so you would have Russian refugees coming down to Australia because Australia's out of the way. 
Like, let's let's be real. We've said it before. We'll say it again. If the world is getting nuked, Australia is probably going to be fine. (laughs) So if these refugees sail down from Russia to Australia, stop off in Sydney, and then the whole metaphorical crap pot hits the fan and they're just in the city, well, they're going to hang around. In development phases for the buzzards, they were going to do this thing where they mostly bury their vehicles and then pop out of the sand as a way of like surprising people, kind of like a trapdoor spider. Or like a video game character. That sounds horrible for their cars. Yeah. That just doesn't sound feasible. And also sounds like a lot of work. It does sound like a lot of work. Popping out of the sand is something that they did do in the 2015 video game as a way of making their emergence a bit more surprising. They pop out of the ground. If you want to get technical with it, I guess they could use some sort of like trapdoor system and then cover it with a thin layer of sand and then the doors pop open. But I don't think we need to get into that quite so specifically. (laughs) Although that sort of construction, we do see that in this minute. It's just there's not a car in it yet. Well, the car goes into it. Right. It just doesn't come back out. (laughs) Car ends up in it. Yeah. So that sort of construction is possible manpower wise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They can accomplish it. Yeah, we're going to discover very late this week that not only do they have the manpower, they also have the machine power when it comes to digging holes and whatnot. But we'll get to that, like I said, tail end of Friday. So if you're holding your breath, please don't. Please, please don't. (laughs) I was holding my breath this whole time. Sorry. It was Brendan McCarthy who drew up the initial concepts. And then George Miller commented that they looked like cars from a movie called The Cars That Ate Paris. I haven't seen it, (laughs) so I can't comment on it. But I will trust George Miller when he says that. Because even Brendan McCarthy, by all accounts, was surprised to hear the comparison. But the whole idea of the buzzers is that they take their vehicles and they cover them with these spikes... And then they have buzz saws that they use to cut apart vehicles. So they're protected against squishy meat sack attack. And they're good at cutting away bits of vehicle so that they can scavenge them. Meat sack attack is my uh, main wrestling move. That's my signature move. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these buggies for both offensive and defensive purposes are pretty fantastic. Mm. Very effective. These cars reminded me of Hot Wheels in some way. Like, I could definitely see these as being like a little toy car that I would have definitely loved to have shot, <laughs> like through one of those wheels. <laughs> Does not seem safe for children. That's what it made me think of when I saw them. Nice. These would be the Hot Wheels cars from hell. Like, ask any parent, and they'll tell you that stepping on a Lego is the worst <laughs> thing that you could possibly step on. I don't think you need to limit that to parents, I think that's anyone. A little Matchbox-style version of these cars with all of these spikes. Just, oh, that would draw blood. (laughs) It would, and they're pretty rusty, so you'd need to go get medical attention. Get your tetanus shot. Yeah. (laughs) Do they ever make toys of these? Like, like toy toys, not like collectible, like, models, but like toys of Mad Max Fury Road. That seems like one of those, like, mistaken enterprises where they're like, oh, wait, this movie's rated R. Why are we making toys? (laughs) <laughs> not that i know of no i think the 80s were a treasure trove time for rated r action movies marketed to children i don't think <laughs> they do that much anymore okay fair enough making toys of this film would be foolish but welcome <laughs>
which is appropriate because that's exactly what the buzzards say here at the top of this minute. What? <laughs> Way to tie it in there. Good job. <laughs> the sun is an interesting player in this minute. Because as we're driving along, you can see that the sun is casting shadows from the convoy along the ground. And as we go into the cab, we can see the sun shining through the back window. And it allows Furiosa to see a glinting reflection up on the hill. And it alerts her to the presence of these buzzards. Uh, then we go outside the cab to see Ace sitting on top of the rig. And the sun is coming straight down on top of his shoulders. Yeah, George Miller has never been one to really care about continuity <laughs> of the sun. I'm impressed that he even used the location of the sun as a minor plot point. Mm-hmm. Because historically, he really does not care where the sun is at. I didn't notice that, so... Yeah, I wonder if people thought that George was going to start caring about that after he was done with Beyond Thunderdome. Coming back, getting all this money, getting everything. He's been working on this for so long, he's going to have everything down pat. And it's like, nope, if he's got light and it's going to work for the shot, he's going to use it. Continuity be damned. Hey, they still won the editing Oscar, so... uh Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and this non-continuity of location of the sun is really minor compared to the just incredibly disparate things we have seen in other movies mm-hmm. like high noon next shot it's sunset next shot it's back to high noon like yeah this is warrior. really minor <laughs> honestly i wouldn't even have noticed if i wasn't watching this one analyzing it time. minute by minute <laughs> yeah yeah Furiosa, being the capable commander that she is, tells everybody to look to the right, and Ace is the first one that identifies them specifically as buzzards, and he passes it down the line for everybody to keep an eye out for, and the war boys seem pretty excited at the prospect of getting into a fight. This is what they live for, after all. I think they are more invested in dying in battle and on the Fury Road and going to Valhalla than they are in completing a successful mission. Mm. Although this particular set of war boys do seem a little bit less fanatical than Nux. Yeah, this is the more professional group for sure. Maybe it's because Nux feels like he's actively dying, which I believe that he is actively dying. This is his moment. If he's going to die, it's going to be on the Fury Road. These guys, they're not actively dying, but they still are like itching for a fight. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Sure. What is the furry road? Well, the furry road, I think, is (laughs) what a lot of weird people on Reddit call their fan creations that involve a lot of animals. (laughs) But the fury road, aside from it being a holdover from, I think it was in the storyboarding process, the pathway between the Citadel and Gastown was the Furioso road or something, and then they adapted Mm -hmm. it into the title. We like to think of it more as a metaphysical thing like uh the fury road is the path of battle that one war boy would live his life in that sort of thing mm-hmm. the road to valhalla the highway to hell yeah the highway to hell exactly exactly <laughs> oh my god this movie would be so much better if it was called mad max highway to hell <laughs> if they could have gotten acdc on board to be in they're australian are you kidding that would have been amazing if they had been on the doof wagon like just take (laughs) the doof wagon and turn it into a stage for (laughs) acdc 
Angus Young as the guitar man. I would have been so on board with that. Yeah, that would have been absolutely amazing. <laughs> Although, I think that would have given a lot of people flashbacks to Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> Mad Maximum Overdrive? I mean, that would be quite the crossover. Take all the vehicles from Maximum Overdrive, including the 18-wheeler with the big green goblin mask on the front, and just drop <laughs> that into a Mad Max world. <laughs> this ATM just called me an asshole. <laughs> that all really I, I, seems like it could work. Yeah. I know what Maximum Overdrive is, but I have no idea what like what happens in that movie, so Neither do I. <laughs> all right. Well, Julie and Tyler for your benefits and for the benefits of people at home who haven't heard before. So Maximum Overdrive is a movie based on a book by Stephen King and it is a movie that in previews he said a lot of people have tried making my books into films and they've never really done it right so I've come to the conclusion that if you want something done right you do it yourself <laughs> and Maximum Overdrive is the result of that mentality so Stephen King directed a movie based on one of his books about cars and machines that because of space radiation or something like that come to life and start killing people naturally of course like you do it is worth a watch <laughs> just one just at least one it's worth it how about a half a watch <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i could have it on in the background while i do other things and maybe still get it yeah, the soundtrack was done by ACDC, so it features a lot of their music, which is a big plus. It also has a situation where people are held hostage in a gas station by a bunch of 18-wheeler trucks because the 18-wheeler trucks want gas and they don't have hands to give themselves <laughs> gas, and the people have to deal with that situation. Just sounds like a bad Transformers movie, and the Transformers movies are already bad. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like the perfect movie to cross over fan fiction style, mix it with Mad Max, have a new creation. Possibly. We should throw cars in there, too. I feel like that could just go in there, too, and we could just have this mess of a film. Yeah. You could argue that Cars is just the sequel to Maximum Overdrive. I don't know why you would, but you could. You know, that classic Furiosa advice, turn right to go left. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this seems like a good a time as any because we're talking about other movies. Tyler, between recordings, you mentioned something that you wanted to bring up, specifically the 1926 film, The General. Yes, uh, Buster Keaton's masterpiece that flopped at the time. It's a wonderful film. If you ever get the chance to see it, obviously go for it. Uh, sometimes they do it with live music because it's a silent film, so that's always a good opportunity. But essentially, Mad Max Fury Road is like a spiritual remake of The General, in my point of view. The General is about Buster Keaton. He's a train engineer who uh, wants to sign up to be a soldier for the Confederate Army in the Civil War. But he gets told, no, you're too valuable as an engineer, so you can't sign up. And this calls a falling out with the love of his life who wants him to be a soldier and so he kind of like is all sad but then one day his train gets stolen by the union and if you've ever heard of like the great locomotive chase or kind of this general story that happened in real life this is kind of an adaptation of that so buster keaton has to go chase 
his train with another train to the union side where he rescues the love of his life. And then there's a whole chase back to where they started. And all of a sudden the union is chasing him. And so there's this kind of cyclical type of storytelling where there's half of the movie goes one way, half of the movie goes back and it's all action. If you know anything about Buster Keaton, you know, he does all of his own stunts. And so obviously for Buster Keaton, it gets played off like a comedy, but in many ways, it's also an action movie, much like Fury Road. They're throwing stuff in front of the train tracks. They're shooting at each other from train to train. They're knocking down water towers to make the other person have to clear it out before they can follow them. All this kind of hectic stuff, like a back and forth circle of obviously trains as opposed to cars. But the way I see it, Fury Road is just kind of a spiritual reimagination of the general. I never thought of the plot in Fury Road of the chasing one way and then turning around and chasing the other way. And that concept does seem a little bit goofy in kind of a Buster Keaton way. Yeah. And very much like uh, it makes me think of, I don't know, like who made it famous, but the like you're looking down a hallway with a bunch of doors and people are just running between doors, like chasing each other. <laughs> like Scooby-Doo? Yes. Yeah. yeah like very Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and it's definitely not played in a comedic way in this movie, but I could definitely see how it can be made to be comedic. Well, yeah. And if, if we're considering comedy as just the buildup and release of tension... I don't think we get any examples of it in this minute, but in the next minute, we get kind of a a funny action beat that kind of works in the same way, I think. I think so. So there's my pitch. If you ever get the chance to see The General, it kind of of works backwards for most people because most people haven't even seen it. So go give it a watch and tell me what you think. (laughs) Sounds good. So where we left off, we were talking about the sun and it being wonky and Furiosa getting all of the war boys excited to fight. And... Before the buzzards actually descend on the war rig, we get Ace and he shows up at Furiosa's window again. And he's once again got one of his classic suggestions in the chamber. And he says, should we turn it round and run him into our backup? So first and foremost, the buzzards are really coming out of the woodwork because we started with one up on the hill. We got two more coming in from one side. We got one that you can see past Ace when he comes into the window. So they're really just coming in from all directions. And so Ace is right to be worried. But I'm not really sure how to feel about this suggestion that they turn the rig around and go back towards the Citadel forces. Because in the scenario I mentioned on Monday, the possibility that the war rig was sent out to be a a bait or a decoy and then took the detour to get away from the fighting. Mm -hmm. If Ace had drawn that conclusion, which obviously he didn't, but if he had, it would have been foolish to take these four vehicles and bring them all back towards the fighting to give the fighting, I guess, more chaos to it. Well, you know where he got that idea from? From Road Warrior. That's exactly what Max did in Road Warrior. Mm. He turned the rig around and went back towards the people he left behind. And that's how he won the fight, because the people who were chasing him, he then crashed headlong into them. So his goal and his idea, I think, is really quite strategic, and I think it's a good idea. So they have drawn out these buzzards who are too close for comfort. They are a relatively small fighting force. Ace knows that there is a much larger fighting force not that far away. 
So let's turn around, which he makes it sound way more easy than I think it would be to turn the ring around. Yeah. Head back towards them, draw these few buggies that are following us back to the main group. That way the main group can help out. What do you two think? Uh, In the words of Iron Man, not a great plan. I'm in agreement there, too. Just physically turning the rig around seems challenging and staying in some sort of safe formation would be really tricky. So it doesn't seem like a practical plan. And Ace hasn't thought much through this. Yeah, I can't put my finger on it. Is he being tactical or is he being cowardly? Hmm. Again, he doesn't know what the plan is, so he's just throwing out options, I think. Well, we don't know a ton about Ace, but the things that we do know about him do not lead me to think that he is being cowardly. I think he's trying to be strategic, but he doesn't know the plan. Oh, it reminds me of we were watching a, a YouTube video last night about this Pictionary type game where you have your group of players and everybody gets the same prompt and what you're going to draw, except one person gets a prompt that they are the fake artist. And the players each take turns adding to the picture, and the fake artist has to pretend like they know what's going on, like they're drawing the right thing that everybody else is drawing. Mm -hmm. And then everyone has to figure out who the fake artist is. So poor Ace is. The fake artist. Yeah. He's the one who doesn't have a whole picture. He is just going off of what he sees in front of him, mm-hmm. trying to contribute something that makes sense. So going off of that game, if anybody wants to play it at home, you can use any number of players. I think you want to have more than three. The idea is that one person, like Julia said, is the fake artist, and you take turns drawing on the thing based on the prompt you get. It could be a place, it could be a food, it could be a movie, it could be a character, and everybody gets to draw. And the way it works is when you put the pen to paper, you can draw as much as you want, but as soon as you take the pen off, your turn is done. And the goal of the game is not so much to finish the prompt, it's to pick out who the fake artist is. So each of your additions to the drawing needs to be related to the prompt enough that you tell other people in the room that you know what's going on, but vague enough that the person who is fake still has no idea what's going on, so that way at the end of the game they can get picked out. It's called A Fake Artist Goes to New York. Yeah, it's kind of like Secret Hitler meets Pictionary. (laughs) Okay, I'm a bit of a board game expert, so... (laughs) (laughs) So poor Ace is faking it. Yeah. And... Okay, considering that he's faking it, he doesn't know what the prompt is. He doesn't know what's going on. Hmm. He's doing a pretty good job. Well, you just fake it till you make it. Yeah. Just throw enough suggestions out there. (laughs) One of them is going to be okay. (laughs) I think, too, maybe he has enough experience in some other situations and battle type scenarios that he's like running through his repertoire of, oh, I've done this in the past. This worked or we've been in this kind of situation and we could try something like this. Yeah, an interesting thing about Ace is he's a little older. You can see the wrinkles on his face. His lips are all like crazy weird. I love his physicality as a character overall. It's really interesting to watch. Oh, yeah. But definitely him being a little older also adds to that. I love how his kind of default spot for communicating with Furiosa is hanging off of her door. (laughs) That's fantastic. And even through some of the more challenging driving maneuvers that Furiosa has to do in this minute that we're going to talk about soon he still hangs on he's in tip-top shape he's good to go he's got that good grip strength yep so despite ace 
throwing these ideas against the wall to see what sticks. Furiosa says, no, quote, we fang it, <laughs> which is something that we're going to hear come up. You know, this idea that we're going to meet this problem head on with our pointy teeth. That's what it means. Yeah. Did you look up if fanging it is a current slang? No. I didn't either because I just kind of assumed it wasn't. It could be an Australian slang. It could be. I would actually be kind of disappointed in George Miller if he used current slang. (laughs) This movie takes place in an alternate post-apocalyptic future. They wouldn't use our slang. They would have their own. So I'm not going to look it up because even if it is real world slang, I don't want to know. Right. I don't think it is. I spend a lot of time on the internet and I have never heard it before. And I was really (laughs) confused when I did hear it on... (laughs) In the film and like in this minute, I was like, what did they just say? I have no idea what that means. But now that you've said face it head on, like take it by the teeth, like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the visual of a fang is like, you know, long and pointy and you're going to pierce through and you're just going to keep going. Yeah. Nowhere but forward. I still think it might just be Australian slang. <laughs> There's a children's television show on Netflix called The Little Lunch about australian children and sometimes they say words i have no idea what they mean (laughs) (laughs) that does seem about right yeah that reminds me of beyond thunderdome yeah right (laughs) furiosa does something here she reaches up and she pulls on the horn of the rig twice we get a short blast and then a longer blast and i like that it's a continuation of this idea that in order to pass orders between the vehicles they don't shout they don't do any sort of verbal command it's very simple Two blasts, so I guess rangers are returning if you want to be Game of Thrones about it. But it obviously means in this context, it's time to fight. And to the people within earshot, Ace starts shouting, thunder up, here we go. So if ACDC was doing the soundtrack to this movie, this is where Thunderstruck would start up. The music that did start up was really interesting, though. And that was something that my ear got caught in this, like, rewatching this minute. And it was, it was nice. (laughs) So what's cool is that the convoy really closes up ranks, like the vehicles in the back get right up closer to the fuel pod, and the lead vehicle, it doesn't so much get closer to the war rig as much as speed up, because the guy on the back of that car has this big fifty caliber machine gun. Like, if he's going to do some damage, he needs to have some maneuverability to handle that. And so he moves a little bit forward, everybody else moves a little bit closer in. It's a good thing that he does move forward, though, because as we follow the rig up over a ridge, we uh, get into some shenanigans. So they've gone over this ridge, and as they start to descend again, the lead car, I guess it trips something or it hits a pressure pad because from the dirt, a chain launches up out of the ground and it catches that lead car right across the front of the grill. What I like about this trap is that It's not that it's just the chain popping up. There is a board or a pipe or some sort of piece of material that is specifically launched out of the ground and it drags the rest of the chain with it. Oh, yeah. So you think that was like a spike to help keep it in place? I think. And the car yanked it out of the ground? There was some sort of either trip line or pressure plate system set up. And then when it gets tripped off, there are probably shotgun shells or charges of some kind placed underneath that board and those charges launch the board up out of the ground 
and as it flies up out of the ground with incredible speed, like oh, okay, go, I go, get it. Going frame by frame, one frame there's nothing. The next frame, that board or material is already. 30 centimeters out of the ground yeah and that's what pulls the chain up in a position to catch the car so cleanly exactly okay i gotcha that is ingenious <laughs> takes a lot of play testing to get that right yeah it they does a lot of cars yeah i feel like these people at least like the scouting parties the attack parties probably have a lot of time on their hands <laughs> there's no internet to get lost in there's no video <laughs> games to kill time with I'm sure there are other parties whose specific job it is to go find food, so they don't have to worry about that. So, yeah, they have time to calibrate this stuff, make mm -hmm. it perfect. And it works incredibly well. Now, Furiosa sees this happening, and she's able to swerve out of the way, but this poor lead vehicle, it is not so lucky. It careens forward, and the bottom end drops down, and it reveals a big old pit. And in this pit are more giant metal spikes, similar to the ones that we see on the cars. And between the front end going into the hole, being hooked on the chain, and then having so much forward momentum, it gets flipped forward and it throws the Warboy, thankfully, clear of the spikes. But the car itself is not nearly so lucky. Yeah, so the Warboy getting thrown forward, I don't have the ability like you do, Rick, to go frame by frame. Now, he does seem kind of okay, except do you think that his legs are then run over by the last set of tires for the rig? It looks like they might, but I don't have frame-by-frame -frame abilities. In the shot that we see the Warboy fly, he lands on the ground, he rolls a little bit, and you can see the tanker and the fuel pod coming into the screen. And then when we cut back to Furiosa and Ace, they kind of rock a little bit. I totally think that guy got run over. Oh, yeah, you're right. They do. Big they totally sad. rock around. <laughs> There's no way that Furiosa makes that turn in real life. You know, I was thinking about that. There's a reason that Furiosa is driving the rig. There's a reason why she has a reputation as a great driver. She's an Imperator. We assume she received that promotion because of her driving skills and the victories that she has provided with her driving. So... I'm not sure how realistic it is in real life, but in the world of Mad Max, I think that that is something a skilled driver can do. Hmm. I think the main hang-up, and Tyler, this might be where you're coming from, is that the war rig is so big, and the perspective that we're looking at doesn't really look like it affords the war rig that much room to react. Yeah, and also the way that like trucks like that are segmented where the cab of the truck turns and then it takes a second for the load to turn also would kind of make me think that there's a scenario where the cab would make the turn, but then the load would kind of veer into the trap and then like maybe get hit or something. Yeah. The fuel pod is also independent. So that would serve even worse for the rig. Yeah. In the shots where the rig is swerving, there's a lot of tilt going on. Yeah. And she doesn't miss that pit by very much. Like, I would say she misses the pit by less than a foot. Fury Road, it's a game of inches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This series of shots, this accident that the lead vehicle undergoes, I find it to be the one bit of CGI in this movie that really takes me out of it. 
Now, we've seen plenty of CGI in this movie up to this point. The Citadel is a series of digital composite shots. There's been green screen sets that have been filled out around the physical props. But this instance here, just because it feels so, I don't know if utilitarian is the right word for it. Like, we're throwing in that the buzzards are able to take out these vehicles using their cunning and their traps. And we needed to get rid of this vehicle to begin with. But just the way that it flips and the way that it spins around, it just seems so, I don't know, just maybe gratuitous is the right word. I don't know. I think it's gratuitously clean. Mm. The rest of the carnage that we see, mostly on Friday, is messy. There's a lot of dirt getting thrown up. You can't see half of what's going on between flames and dirt getting thrown up. This one, there's none of that. You see everything. It's very sharp. It's very clear. And the movements of the car are very crisp. I think that is served by the type of trap that it is. The chain started the flip, and then it went into the pit that kept that flip going in a very small area. I'm kind of okay with that, but... How is there no dirt thrown up in the air? Yeah. Tyler, what do you think? Oh, I was going to say, maybe you latched onto the little moment before the lead car crashes. There, We have a sped up time thing. <laughs> How does time work? I don't know. Like, as opposed to slow-mo, like, it speeds up for a moment, and that kind of raises the stakes a little bit, but it's also kind of weird to look at. It is. Have you guys talked about how a lot of this movie is edited to kind of recreate PTSD feelings? Something like that, right? Yeah, very much. Uh, George Miller definitely has a history of removing every other frame, or maybe less than every other frame, but removing frames. Like, it gives you the feeling that your heart is racing, even if it's not, to just yeah. speed everything up, make everything more frenetic and tense. And he definitely took it to a bit more of an extreme in this movie than he's ever done in the past. Definitely, though, with more skill. You can tell that technology has improved since the last time that he directed and a movie of his was edited. Mm. It's done better in this film, but he is using it a lot in this film. Yeah. Condra, what do you think of this? The whole falling into the pit thing, I definitely like there is something a little off about it. It reminded me of something almost out of like something cartoonish. Yeah. Like an Acme kind of like Roadrunner looney tunes kind of situation because it is just it doesn't seem as high of stakes in some ways there's less to it than even the next minute what happens then and the spikes would do different kind of damage and or at least what i would assume would be different damage and like thinking about the driver it's like he'd probably be impaled and like that's not really (laughs) seen and so it's a simplistic act of violence in something that's going to escalate super quickly so it goes from like not to 100 i have to wonder if they had not done the thing they did where they had the sped up footage and then immediately trap is triggered slow-mo and then regular speed like the way they played with the speed i think also made it a little wonky yeah but if this is as bad as it gets then that's not that bad at all (laughs) Why isn't that Warboy wearing his seatbelt? That's what I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) This might be the one scenario where you don't want to be attached to the vehicle that you're in. (laughs) Being thrown clear probably was the safest thing until he probably got run over by the war rig. 
<laughs> Am I correct in thinking that this is the first moment of vehicular violence in a movie packed full of vehicular violence? I think so. I think this war boy being thrown clear of the spike pit and then subsequently run over. The very first thing that happens is Max's car gets blown up. Yes, but Max survives. Okay. Okay. So I think the first instance of vehicular death is this guy getting run over because the guy in the car may or may not. He's Schrodinger's impale victim. <laughs> like, we don't know how impaled he is. Even if he's just impaled enough to incapacitate him and not kill him, the buzzers are going to come for that vehicle. Yeah. And they're going to take him. And I can picture them, unfortunately, ripping him apart. Yeah. Because as we learned, limb. as we learned from Mark Sexton, the buzzards are also people eaters. Yes, they are. So that's fun. Uh-huh. Wow. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, little chuckles for cannibalism. Oh, dear. <laughs> following this crazy crash we see furiosa she gets the tanker back on the road and the remaining escorts are able to avoid the trap just as deftly and we end this minute with furiosa pulling her head back in from the window to look at the road ahead and that's how we wrap this minute so be sure to come back on friday because that is when furiosa and her war boys oh man they get to shine with their capabilities and taking out these buzzards it's gonna be real fun high octane thrills the mad max minute podcast is a fan project by rick and julia ingham the mad max franchise was created by george miller and byron kennedy is presented by kennedy miller mitchell productions and distributed by warner brothers Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 20 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.